0: 18th minute, Casper Shabilko steps up to try to deliver a dagger to Nashville's hopes of finishing second in the Eastern Conference table. He steps forward with the right foot. He fires. He scores. Philadelphia Union are off the mark, and at least temporarily they are into second place in the live table in the 19th minute here in Chester. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone else in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio broadcaster Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. The highlight courtesy of me and courtesy of ESPN 94.9 from Philadelphia and the Union's 1-0 win over Nashville, just the fourth loss of the season. For the boys in gold, thanks to ESPN 94.9 for providing that. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, which sounds decidedly more upbeat than Nashville SC supporters do this week, Tim. Three games left and still everything but first place to play for. Second spot sits out there. A home playoff berth still has to be earned. Heck, at the time of recording... Nashville hasn't even clinched a playoff spot. So it's the most important week of the season. But Tim, it follows,
1: I think, pretty clearly one of the most disappointing weeks of the season. Yeah, heading into Saturday night's game, a Nashville win combined with any one of three other results would have sealed a playoff berth. So not only did Nashville lose, but all three of the other ones went against them as well. So this is a team that that realistically, they're still going to make the playoffs. But now some help is needed to make it happen as early as this Wednesday. Does it take you back just a little bit to that first year in
0: USL? It's not as precarious as things ended up being that final day when Nashville needed to get a result against Cincy, and, and even you know needed to get a little help too. But it kind of reminds me in that this is a team that had all kinds of momentum. It was in a good place. I mean, this team was in a better place than that one was in year one of USL. But then as you got toward the end of the grind, it was one point, one point, one point, and they just didn't they didn't race across the finish line. They stumbled across it.
1: Yeah, it is a situation where I think uh, the urgency of some other teams might be different than the urgency that Nashville has played with. Whether or not Nashville should be playing with the same level of urgency might be a different question, but it certainly does lead to a situation where Um, If you're in second place, you're you're liable to get hawked down a little bit, but I would rather start out in second place than anywhere else in that situation. Uh, We had Gary Smith on, of course, last week, and he he talked about a lot of evergreen topics, so you guys are going to want
0: to go back and listen to that if you haven't. Uh, But I also talked with him later that week on our broadcast prep call. He said, at this point, it's kind of like losing weight. The first few pounds are really easy. And then the grind really starts and you get more resistance. He said, that's kind of how it is with this playoff push. You know, we we were looking really good, making great progress. And then toward the end of the season, no matter who you are, no matter how good you are, It just gets tougher, and it got tougher for Nashville SC last week. A 1-0 loss to Philadelphia, 1-1 draw with Columbus before that. That's a game the club very much put in the resources, put in the personnel to get three points, and they got just one. Tough matches against hungry teams, but looking forward, Tim, a chance to forget about all that, if, if only just for a night. A chance Wednesday to cure what has ailed this team's
1: attack. Yeah, Nashville SC is, is not necessarily happy with how its two results against Cincinnati have gone this year, and that's because they drew in the season opener. But even in that game, uh, they scored two goals, and, and both of them from the run of play as well. So when the teams met up again, NSC managed to exercise some of the demons from the earlier draw but in a dominating win, scoring three goals. And, and certainly the team will once again be motivated to get a different monkey off of its back, which is not having won in the past several games. So that's something that uh, if if you're in MLS team that is not feeling very positively about yourself there's nobody better to change that narrative than Cincinnati in the early shout what's gone wrong over the last six matches it's Nashville's longest winless
0: stretch in its history to be fair it's only lost one of those matches so it was also unbeaten and there's that classic you know unbeaten winless really mean nothing however Nashville SC has wanted three points and not gotten them several times what's gone wrong and we'll compare the last six matches with the six matches prior to that And then we're going to take outside in, inside the early shout if you followed that inside in, inside in sure yeah that works that's the simple route to take it simplest joke is usually the best one Uh, we're going to outline playoff scenarios around the league and we're going to talk about three huge moments this past weekend that changed the complexion of this race in small ways and big ones and so we'll talk not just about nashville sc but about what else is happening around the eastern conference a crazy eastern conference And then we're going to talk to Brad Weigel of Cincy Soccer Talk. You know, when, when there's a car accident is bad enough, you bring in an accident investigator to really break it down. And, we could talk about the car crash up in Cincinnati, but Brad Weigel, he's in the middle of it, and he has the ability, the authority, and the experience to talk uh, in much more
1: detail uh, about what's yeah. happening up there in Cincinnati. Yeah, I think the Cincinnati Soccer Talk guys might be more like blood spatter analysts at this point, <laughs> but <laughs> but, cert- but certainly they, they know how to uh, how to break down what they see out of a, a, what has been historically a struggling team ever since entering Major League Soccer. And Tim, you recommended Since Each Soccer Talk here recently in our
0: recommendations section because they do a really professional job um, looking at something that a lot of folks would care to look away from at this point. Um, and, and Brad has a great uh, conversation with us about what's happening down there, up there in Cincinnati. Uh, we'll get to the mailbag. What was up with some of the roster decisions Saturday? There was some rotation that was forced by Hani Mooptar's yellow card suspension, but some that was optional and, and the Gary Smith went with, uh, we'll answer that question. Uh, what can this team realistically still accomplish? Many of you want to know, you know, obviously mathematically second place is still possible. Um, Do we think it will happen? And then how to reignite Randall and CJ. Hani Mukhtar has continued to be fairly hot, but Randall and CJ have taken a a bit of a step back, at least on the score sheet. Uh, How can Nashville get them moving? Um, And then we will close things out with our final whistle and some recommendations. So let's get into our early shout.
1: Nashville on the attack. Rios back to Hani Mukhtar! He has the answer! He scores! And of course... Nashville roars right back into this match.
0: That goal against Columbus was the high point of an otherwise downer of a week. The only goal in 180 minutes for the boys in gold last week. Tim, your three inch capsule about the Columbus draw last Wednesday.
1: Yeah, it was a game where both teams looked pretty lethargic for most of it. And then, uh, you know, that's something that we're, we've gotten used to seeing, unfortunately, in the stretch out of Nashville SC, but it's much more rare to see it happen to them at home. But as soon as Columbus scored, NSC was able to come right back. They kind of turned it on for a second. But then uh, the the air seemed to come out of the game pretty quickly shortly thereafter. Back to being lethargic for both teams, aside from a couple uh, shocking cards (laughs) shown by center official Alex Chilowitz. But at least Luke Hawkinson's red card was reduced on on video review down to a yellow. Thanks to ESPN94.9 for the highlight, uh, by the way.
0: When pro referees is not going to come out with a statement because it doesn't rise to that level. When Gary Smith is bound by what he can say, I think it's cathartic to listen to voices covering the team who uh, who have similar thoughts about what in the world happened there on those two cards. So, first off, Luke Hawkins's
1: red card, to me, wasn't even a foul. Mm-hmm. Agree? Yeah, yeah. It was certainly, you know, as a run-of-the-mill foul, maybe you call it, but it's it, de- it definitely is not a yellow card situation certainly not a red card situation i think when you go to the var and, and see that your red card was uh as as far from a red card as you see that it was you're a little bit embarrassed about it and stick with the yellow honestly
0: honey tars yellow in my book the referee should have played advantage there to columbus he realized he should have played advantage and so he went back and gave a yellow card retroactively instead of just admitting his mistake
1: and saying i'm sorry otherwise the foul not really worthy of a yellow kind yeah, kind of kind of a little mundane situation again it's a situation where you look at it and, and you kind of say oh well you know i kind of have to do something to make this worth everyone's while at this
0: point point." and then there was philadelphia uh the fourth loss of the season for nashville sc and a match that gary told us was was going to be the toughest his team was going to have to play all season that ended up proving to be the case just one shot on target uh, no C.J. Sapong in the starting 11. Honey Mukhtar suspended due to yellow card accumulation uh, again. And once again, the boys in gold struggle to generate much in the attack against a high-pressing, assertive team on the road. It reminds you a bit of the D.C. match a week prior, of Red Bulls, Nashville's 2-0 loss uh, up in New Jersey. It's it's just a situation, Tim, where it's always going to be hard to generate something like that, especially against a team that is desperate to claim the front foot as Philadelphia was.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's little shame in in playing a less exciting game on the road and even in setting up to play a less exciting game on the road. And I would say that's particularly true when you're without your top leading scorers, um, including an MVP candidate, um, one of your your chance creators and the reigning MLS defensive player of the year. That's a lot of guys to not have in your starting lineup. Now, some of those were obviously choices, Um, but Sapong, you know, due to an injury to Daniel Rios and Walker Zimmerman, um, just as a halftime sub, both entered the match. But Hani Mukhtar and Dan Lovitz were unavailable, so there was not a lot of offensive uh, firepower to muster a little bit. So, I mean, the bright side, I would say, is that even with that rotated side, um, Gary Smith was doing what we expected, which is play for a draw and hope to nick a winner in the process. Um, You know, once uh, it took a fluky penalty kick, uh, you know, a ball just happens to hit a defender in the hand. (laughs) That's, That's just the absolute worst luck it's it's the right call by the letter of the law and Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people don't care for that being the letter of the law I think it it should be that way if if you're in the box get your hands out of the way but it still did take a somewhat fluky play to beat Nashville SC and and, and Philly's second best chance which is a late 1v1 between Casper Shabilko and Joe Willis would have come back for offside if if he had scored um Dave Romney was very adamant he was he was shouting at the official is a second straight late game official shouting by a Nashville (laughs) SC player but Either way, once you do up that goal, you can't play for a draw anymore. And, and Nashville didn't have the pieces available to, to come back from that one goal deficit. A loss is a loss, and, and, and a loss in which the offense looked totally impotent despite needing a goal for that extent of it is even worse.
0: Well, especially now when Nashville has gone four road matches without scoring a goal. And you can point to each individual match and point to reasons why. That happened, but on the whole, you put 360 minutes together, and it is exactly 360, by the way, because Nashville scored in stoppage time in Miami. Uh, before that stretch and and certainly it, it's going to raise questions many of you sent in those questions and one question was about the rotation in philadelphia why would gary smith start with walker on the bench cj on the bench uh, obviously muqtarn and Levitts unavoidable there so later on we will get into um, our feelings about about that decision right now though let's bring you the gold nuggets and the question we endeavor to answer here is what is different In the last six matches, again, this is the six-match winless streak for Nashville SC. Five draws, one loss, and four of those matches away from home. So in the last six matches, Nashville has scored three goals, and they have an average expected goals in those of 0.65. So, you know, they're scoring it's a slightly lower clip than XG would indicate, but really not a whole lot lower. They're just not generating a whole lot. So let's compare that to the six matches before that stretch. Double the scoring double the xg 13 goals as opposed to three so quadruple the scoring actually and an average xg of 1.37 so more than double the expected goals uh four road matches in each stretch so that's comparable strength of schedule somewhat comparable a little tougher in this most recent stretch of course when you go to dc to philadelphia tim if you would agree that there is regression in the attack not just statistically but but also you know tactically on the pitch what's causing that regression in your view
1: yeah, I mean it's obviously very multifaceted, but a big part of it is is the personnel rotation that has sometimes been forced, or, or sometimes has been a choice that didn't end working out for Gary Smith. Um, Hani Mukhtar and C.J. Sapong in Chicago turned what sh- probably should have been a multi-goal win on the road. Um, had had an adequate field to score goals on it turned that into one in which I could hold NSC without many realistic choices and then um, you have Anibal Godoy, Alistair Johnson, and Randall Leal Randall all unavailable in DC coming back from their international duty. Dan Lovitz remains out of the lineup with a foot injury and you know I was kind of a skeptic that his early season goal creation or chance creation numbers uh, were a little more than fool's gold but certainly a guy who has the opportunity to create those chances, whether or not it's statistically kind of uh, sustainable, is still somebody that you want in the lineup, I would say. So that I think I would prefer to have a guy that can even have that. Uh, it's everybody's personal choice, but, <laughs> but I, w- I would say a lot of it has to do with the guys that, that, that just haven't been around. And, and when they've come back, haven't had the chemistry that they had in that stretch before.
0: When you look at this previous road stretch, especially, I think anybody would look at NYC and D.C. and say, draw pretty good result. Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. 1-0 loss against the Supporter Shield holders. No shame in that. I think the one that might raise some flags still for people is that Chicago draw, uh, the scoreless draw, where I think you you say what a lot of people feel, which is that if if it's a full-strength Nashville side, they'd probably take three points. Other stats that illustrate the recent uh, semi-decline. Nashville took five fewer shots per match in this stretch than in the six games prior. Um, It also allowed a shot and a half fewer per match in the last six. So part of it, Tim, is that Nashville's trying to lock it down a little bit more, and these games were just more conservative on both sides.
1: Yeah, you and I push back a little bit when people use quote-unquote Gary Ball as an (laughs) insult. So we we, we, push—we try to— set some realistic expectations for what that means and what it doesn't mean too so don't play as conservative as a game as the reputation indicates even with the recent slump this is the fourth highest scoring team in the east and eighth in the entire league and that's you know despite despite the goal scoring woes that you just mentioned so when circumstances force it there's no doubt NSC still has the ability to to be difficult to play against as Gary Smith would say and there's there's value in that but At a certain point, you know, for the reasons that we just mentioned, you also want to be able to have a little confidence in yourselves to not go and and play that more conservative game plan, even on the road. Chicago being the obvious example here, but it's it's struck at at home at times, too. I would say the, the first half of the Columbus game, at least you saw a little bit too much of that as well. And, you know, an additional two points there or an additional two points in Chicago, and you might be looking at a very different narrative around this team right now.
0: I think you can agree that when you're especially on the road in the playoffs, it is more valuable to be difficult to play against than it is to be difficult to defend. NSC Nate and Grumpylicious reach out and have a similar question. We'll we'll use NSC Nate's language here, but they both had the had a very very similar inquiry, which was honest answer. Will NSC host a home playoff game? If so, how many is second in the East a pipe dream? Let's have a little fun today. Let's talk about the three possibilities for Nashville SC, three positive possibilities for the boys in gold, and what needs to happen to make those things a reality. First, a playoff berth. Nashville hasn't clinched that yet. What needs to happen to get there? Then we'll talk about top four, which can't happen Wednesday, but could happen by Sunday, depending on Wednesday's results. And then we'll talk top two, the ultimate aspiration for this team. So, playoff berth, pretty simple. It's probably going to happen very soon. Win against Cincinnati, and you need one of two things to happen. A Montreal loss or draw at Red Bulls or an NYCFC loss or draw versus Chicago. Montreal being a little more likely there. Um, you can draw with Sensi and still clinch with a Montreal loss. Either way, it's happening sooner or later.
1: Yeah, so uh, I rubbed my hands together. I don't know if it came through audibly for all for all of our pod listeners. Podcast as a visual this, medium. This, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, uh, the insane spreadsheet person part of the year is, is right in my wheelhouse. So let's... Let's look at the insane spreadsheet. Um Dig in. we're, yeah, we're going to assume that the teams that can no longer catch Nashville in the table, which are Cincinnati, Toronto, Chicago, Miami, and Columbus, lose out. They lose all the games to teams that are still fighting with Nashville for playoff positioning. So keep that in mind that that is not a guarantee, but even if Nashville were to lose the final three games, they'd only miss the playoffs in 138 of 243 possible permutations in their games that are between teams that are still fighting for playoff position. So that means even if Nashville lost all three games, they'd make the playoffs 43.2% of the time without a single point for Nashville, without a single point for Cincinnati, Toronto, Chicago, Miami, Columbus, they still make it almost 45% of the time. So I can tell you that all five of those teams aren't going to lose out and I can probably assume that nashville also isn't going to lose out so it's even rosier than that so it's it's a situation where worst case scenario nashville probably (laughs) makes the playoffs um as you mentioned with a win against cincinnati the only way nashville could miss the playoffs is if both new jersey uh sorry new york teams (laughs) end up winning out including a red bulls win in nissan stadium on on decision day so even if Nashville only gets a draw against Cincinnati there are again, 243 permutations, because that's that's how many games there are aside from the Cincinnati game, you know, three to the power of eight or whatever it is. Seven. Um, insane spreadsheet person mind melted from the math anyway <laughs> computers even, about even, melted too yeah even with a, a draw against cincinnati of the 243 scenarios only 81 see nashville missing the playoff field and every single one of those would require nashville losing both remaining games so with a point against cincinnati all you need is one more point to seal a playoff berth no matter what happens around the league because these other teams fighting for playoff positions are going to have to play each other and take points off each other. So, uh, you know, you would have you have to see Nashville lose both remaining games. And again, those bottom five teams would have to go 0-11 and zero against the teams in the playoff field for the rest of the year, which is which is not happening. And, and then there's the Columbus Chicago game on decision day, which might be the the futility bowl by the time it rolls around. Going <laughs> to be a lot of futility bowls, including by the way, Miami beating
0: Cincinnati five one this past weekend. We'll probably talk about that with uh, with Brad here in a few minutes. So that's making the playoffs. Now to the heart of, of the question at hand, top four, which would enable you to host one playoff match. It cannot happen on Wednesday, even if Nashville gets the win. It can happen Sunday, though, depending on how Wednesday goes. So five teams can still pass Nashville in the table. Nashville is in third now, so to finish fourth, they can afford to let one of those teams pass them. The magic number to guarantee hosting a playoff match 56 points. Nashville's at 49 now. So that's two wins and a draw that get Nashville there. At that point total, only Orlando could pass Nashville. And remember, you're at worst drawing Orlando. Um, and so Orlando would have to win those other two to make that happen. Um, fourth place would be guaranteed and second place would be guaranteed at 56 points if Philadelphia loses a match. So Nashville does not have the tiebreaker on really anybody who's in contention here because, as you've vented about... They they get down to Atlanta
1: before before it even becomes realistic.
0: Right. So that means that if Nashville earns seven points, uh, Philadelphia would have to earn seven points to, uh, to make that happen, which means if they lose, they can only hit six points, which means you're good. So beat Cincy, draw Orlando on the road, beat Red Bulls, 56 points... And
1: you are in the top four. You are yes. likely second place. You're you're uh, you're you're guaranteed top three there because you've taken points off of Orlando, yep. so they can't get to that fifty six number as well. So that's it. Yeah, Great point. You, yeah, you have the opportunity to 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 make that statement. Orlando is is the most important remaining game in terms of um who you're playing against. Except in, in as much as Cincinnati and New York Red Bulls are easier teams to play against, so you're more <laughs> likely to get points there. So if you win one and draw two instead then that's five
0: points, and you're at 54. That's also probably enough to host a playoff match. Orlando would have to win out at Columbus and at Montreal to pass you. At that level, New York, Mon- New York City and Montreal can't catch you. Atlanta or Red Bulls would have to win all of their four remaining matches, and they play each other, so only one would have a chance of doing that. So still very likely, Tim, for
1: Nashville to finish in the top four. Yeah, you know, as I just mentioned, getting at least a draw in Orlando is important. But as long as you get three points against Cincinnati a Wednesday evening, it really does make this situation look a lot rosier in terms of not only sealing a playoff berth, which would most likely happen on Wednesday. I'm knock on wood here, but most likely happen with a win on Wednesday. But it sets you up to to really control your destiny at the very least on decision day. Maybe you, if you lose to Orlando in, in the interim, you, you, you're playing for just one home playoff game rather than the opportunity to, to hope for an upset in a second home playoff game. But you're in a situation where you've where you've done the work as long as you beat Cincinnati on Wednesday. All right, so let's talk about the dream scenario, which would be second
0: place. And by the way, nobody's passing New England. They have clinched the supporter Shield officially, and uh, they are three points away. And they from... seem
1: to come out a little bit hungover Sunday afternoon because of
0: it. Yes, they did. And then they figured it out and caught up. And we'll play a highlight in, uh, in just a few minutes against Orlando in a match that really shook the table a little further down. Uh, Orlando uh, is, of course, one of two teams that are competing with Nashville realistically for that second place spot. New York City FC is still hanging around. They could pass Nashville. It's not likely they're five points back. Uh, So Orlando's just two points back. They play in Columbus Wednesday and then host the boys in gold. So if, if the two teams have the same result on Wednesday, if Nashville wins, if Orlando wins. And again, we would lean toward a Nashville win in Cincinnati then nashville quite simply can put orlando behind them for good with a win in florida this weekend that's it it's all it takes then you're five points ahead of orlando with one match to go philadelphia is tougher of course they're the main main competition for that second spot they're even with nashville on points but they own the tiebreaker so again nashville has to earn one point more than philadelphia Uh, philly also has three games left you look at what's coming up for them at toronto home versus cincy and then NYC on the road could decide it. And that's the New York City FC team that's fighting for top four, fighting for survival. Um, so that's going to be real tight. Philadelphia has an easier schedule down the stretch and, uh, and, and a decent chance, I think, to pip Nashville, especially owning that tiebreaker.
1: Yeah, when you look at Nashville's last three games, I would say the most likely outcome, not the one that's guaranteed to happen, but the most likely outcome is is wins over Cincinnati and then probably Red Bulls. Um, Red Bulls are historically poor away from home and Nashville will potentially have a lot to play for if this scenario plays out as I'm projecting here. And then it's, it does come down to that game against Orlando. As you mentioned, if Nashville gets a win, they, they guarantee that they're past Orlando in that scenario. If they get a draw, they have to hope for a Philly loss to NYC because, as you mentioned, uh, the world beaters that philly has otherwise might not be able to get a whole lot of points off of them but a, a win of for nyc over philly is not like a crazy pie in the sky thing so I, I would not call Nashville's quest for second place a pipe dream by any stretch of the imagination it's not the most likely outcome i think the most likely outcome we're seeing right now is third place um as long as nashville takes care of its business in these final three um but you know it's it's certainly a, a one in three chance if you would say nyc and philly are approximately equal on on the caliber of their teams, maybe not the caliber of their results, a one in three chance to to see Philly lose to NYC is, is something that I think most national fans would take in terms of getting the second.
0: There you go. So there's your official and maybe only detailed playoff scenario breakdown in audio form. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's easier in written form. Uh, we understand this is not an easy subject yeah. to sit around at a bar and talk about. So If
1: you also like to be an insane spreadsheet guy, <laughs> do I have the website for you? Head to <laughs> clubcountryusa.com. By the time you hear this podcast, there will be a post up about it explaining a lot of this stuff.
0: That's it. So really the purpose of this segment is just to draw you to the website so you can see these things written out. Uh, But we will go a little more audio narrative form here. Let's move outside in up here since we're talking about the playoffs. And let's talk through the three biggest moments of this past weekend. And what they mean for the playoff race both outside and inside Music City.
1: Keel going to reset wide. This is DeJuan Jones. Jones crossing it. Bucsa is up for it. He scores. Adam Bucsa. ninety third.
0: Thanks to John Strong for the call on FS1. New England comes from two goals behind and equalizes in stoppage time to keep Orlando from passing Nashville in the table. Tim, they recovered well from that hangover you mentioned and Mm -hmm. got a huge result. For them, eh. For Nashville, massive.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Revs went with a, with a play to draw lineup here. Maybe something that fans would be very upset about if Nashville was doing it. And, and fans <laughs> have been very upset about Nashville having done it on the, sa- on the same weekend. But um, no Adam Buxa, no Gustavo Bo, no Tejon Buchanan, and no Carlos Heal in the lineup for the Revs. Uh, Buxa and Heal entered at halftime, and Buchanan and Bo joined them after Orlando went up two goals. And from that point, it was all Revs. They dominated the game, and, and Buxa scores both goals to, to steal a point. And uh, from a Nashville perspective, keep Orlando City at bay for for one day longer. Orlando two
0: points back. They would have been ahead of Nashville in the table and tied on points, would have pushed Nashville back to fourth if they had held on to the win. Montreal holding on to a 1-0 lead deep into stoppage time here at BMO Field. Cozuelo and Altidore standing over this
1: free kick. It's Josie Altidore with the last kick of the game. Josie Altidore ties it up a
0: huge blow to Montreal's playoff hopes. That was friend of the show, Luke Wildman on TSN. The Canadian Classique ends in a draw in stoppage time, thanks to Josie Altador. Montreal could have been just four points back in Nashville, sitting in fifth place, but thanks to that strike on a long free kick, they are below the playoff line and caught in the logjam.
1: Yeah, I mean when you look at what the the table looks like from Orlando on 47 points to ninth place DC in 41 points it is it is an incredibly tight table for those last couple of playoff spots. Um, as we mentioned before, now a Nashville win in anything other than a Montreal win this weekend would would or this midweek excuse me would seal CF Montreal behind the boys in gold, but there's still everything to play for and Montreal is, is probably going to be on Nashville's team in, in two of the remaining three games against Red Bulls in Orlando City a Montreal win is preferable to either of those teams getting a result at this point. So it's something that, uh, you know, you kind of have to root for the draws at times. You have to root for, for maybe teams that you don't always want to win at times. So it'll be an interesting stretch run. And it might've been a little bit less interesting or perhaps more interesting if, if Montreal had been able to take all three against uh, the Reds.
0: And don't sleep on that, uh, that rivalry either as somebody who's married to a woman who has parents who live in Quebec the disdain for the city of toronto is is absolutely fierce and that rivalry is hot and they are not going to be happy conceding and and maybe ending their playoff hopes or, or at least jeopardizing them in the meantime now hamid has to come out knock it away but a danger play here and chipped into the net bill hamid rushing out with the net wide open just had to chip it over everybody. And how about this? Seven minutes into the match, and it is
1: 2-0.
0: That was Yes Network's Joe Tolleson calling a 6-0 rocking from NYC of DC United. Tim, DC United are broken. I don't know if it was Nashville that broke them by shutting them out for the first time in 12 matches. Uh, I don't know, but they've never won at Yankee Stadium. uh, And that absolutely continued on uh, on the weekend nycfc meanwhile they might just be fixed or at least maybe riding on a spare tire that could get
1: them to the playoffs I mean, this D.C. team has been one that puts up gaudy numbers all year, but too often fails to cash in on the scoreboard. Hernan Losada's side ran up against another team that does exactly that week in and week out and maybe helped NYCFC have those uh, normal stats catch up to their advanced stats a little bit. I I think one thing to keep in mind is the fact that both of these teams have that high variance style where they rack up a ton of XG, but sometimes so do opponents. And it's just a matter of who converts better. Um, if they make it to the playoffs if both of them make it to the playoffs or if or just one i guess makes it to the playoffs they could go get hot and go on a huge run or just flame out when they have a, a trouble converting that we've seen all too common for both of these teams so they're going to be huge x factors if if and when one or both of them makes it in if you are going to fail fail
0: spectacularly that also could be the club motto of one fc cincinnati nashville sc's <laughs> next opponent cincinnati last place likely going to be the wooden spoon winners, losers, for the third straight year that's never happened in Major League Soccer history, and we brought in Brad Weigel to talk about it. He is the head of Cincy Soccer Talk. He's been around since the USL days and has a unique understanding of what's happening and what's not happening, winning, in, in, in Cincinnati. Also has an appreciation for the Nashville-Cincy rivalry, again dating back to USL. Enjoy our chat with Cincy Soccer Talk's Brad Weigel. Nashville SC is set to take on FC Cincinnati on Wednesday night at the beautiful TQL stadium in the Queen City and Brad Weigel is here to join us. He's the co-founder of Cincinnati Soccer Talk, the premier destination for FC Cincinnati News and really the model, Brad, to brag on you a bit for what so many others have done throughout Major League Soccer. I know a lot of folks in Nashville have appreciated your work as well, dating back to the USL rivalry between these teams and now heading toward the end of the home stretch of Cincy's third season at Nashville
2: second thanks for joining us yeah man you had to bring up usl those were our glory days man that was that was <laughs> when it was fun to cover the club
1: now it's just gonna like a, puff you up a little bit <laughs>
2: torture you know but no I, I i definitely uh one of the unique things we had at since since you soccer talk was making all the different connections you know across the country in usl and then carrying some of those including like you guys with uh with with nashville and 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 the mls so it's 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 been a lot of fun it's been trying but uh <laughs> you know hopefully it'll turn around soon
0: definitely trying on the pitch for Cincinnati upwards of $20 million spent last off season to upgrade, especially the attack. And yet, uh, the team still remains in the cellar. It looks poised to likely collect its third wooden spoon, uh, in those three seasons, given the money that was spent in the off season and, and clear, the clear ambition, uh, from this ownership group to climb out of the cellar. Would you call this the most disappointing since season yet?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, now, I think, well, you know, now this year uh, we had more points than, than last season, but I still think we, there's a solid chance that FC Sensei is going to finish below 24 points, which is what they finished on their first season. So I think with all the money spent uh, fulfilling the DP roles, um, you know, thinking heading into this year, you had a head coach and a general manager you can trust in place. Now, both of those are gone. Uh, definitely massive disappointment, um, but I think hope's coming. Um, like you said, the ownership's committed. They finally have some MLS experience uh, with hiring Chris Albright from the union. Um, I think you're going to start to see them make a lot um, more uh, directs the wrong word, but thoughtful moves, kind of like what Nashville did when building the club. You know, they got a lot of MLS veterans. They had a, you know, your coach had a plan of how he wanted to play soccer and going forward. I think that's what uh, hopefully we'll see out of FC Cincinnati, but still it's just like, it's just, you know, a couple steps ahead. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. You know, Wes just mentioned the amount of money spent this offseason. If you go back to 2019, pretty much everything was wrong, but last year there was a reasonable defense and just no ability to score this year. It's the defense that looks likely to finish the worst in MLS slight steps forward for the, for the attack. Maybe in an ideal world, what type of team is FC Cincinnati trying to build? Is it, is it even something that they've made their mind up on and is maybe <laughs> an indecision there sure. to be part of the problem?
2: Yeah, well, I, I I think you might see something. Uh, I think you're going to see the team trending to what the Union do with mm-hmm. the, like the four four two diamond. Uh, I think you're going to see, um, you know, trying to you know, be creative. Like you said, FC Cincinnati spent a lot of money, and they've spent money on decent mm-hmm. players. I think Brenner, extremely young, I to say he's 21 years old, shows promise. He should he should be playing again Wednesday night. Luciano Costa. Has uh, played very well, even though he does have moments where I kind of, you know, drives me nuts. But the guy is so creative, and uh, unlike his stay in DC, he has not quit on the team. So those two guys, extremely thoughtful on the ball and the tech, they just need some help. And there's a bunch of young guys up there: uh, Alvaro Barry on the wing, Isaac tongue on the wing. I think the main problem with FC Cincinnati was the general manager. It really was Gerard Nykamp. While he talked a big game, the products he put on the field. It didn't gel. FC Cincinnati has good players. Ronald Madrid starting left back. Jeff Cameron, center back. You've got Tyler Blackett and Gustavo have other partnering center backs. They have pieces that I think other MLS teams would want, but they just don't have all of them that fit together. This team mm-hmm. started the year without a right back and without a defensive midfielder and said, okay, Luciano Costa, you go. I mean, golly, mm-hmm. the acres of space between the attack and the center backs, it was, it was terrible. So I I, I think uh, Albright can't do worse. Hopefully, uh, but I do think <laughs> don't try him. <laughs> I, I do think there's going to be a more thoughtful way of of building this roster than you've seen. I think Everson has that chance to maybe bounce back a little quicker than most, just on the fact that there are talented players and there's an ownership willing to spend
1: money. Yeah, you mentioned Brenner as, as and he's obviously one of the guys that they spent a ton of money on. Um, you mentioned a ton of other guys there. How many of those, of those guys, you know, beyond Lucha, who I think is somebody that Cincinnati would obviously love to see stick around, but how many of those guys are, are in it for the long term now that we see this? Or is it something that we have to wait and see what Albright is all about before knowing?
2: I think we're going to have to see a little bit about what Albright's about, but they are locked in to a bunch of spots, mm-hmm. especially in the next year. Um, you know, I mentioned the defenders, the U22 players in Atanga and, and Barrial. They can't go anywhere. Brenner's not going anywhere. Lucha's not going anywhere. I just think it's it's how Albright fills the defensive midfield and then a couple key positions behind them. And then it'll be dependent upon the coach to see how he wants to deploy players. I mean, Jeff Cameron, he's played really well this year. I think a lot of MLS teams would take him as one of their center backs. Tyler Blackett was a late arrival that we um, got out of the championship. Um, and, and he's he's... And, it's it's tough to say played well with nine straight <laughs> losses, but like you see, their things there. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the way this team's built. It's really come um, unglued, or it come to light. Really, the last you know ten or twelve matches where you've seen there's no depth. There was really little little uh, thought that went into building this squad. And then let's just get a couple flashy pieces, and you know what, they're going to look better and they're going to get better results without any thought process behind how they um, fit. So. We'll see. I'm sure there'll be some departures we don't expect, and uh, you know I'm all right with that. Nobody's <laughs> got a safe. Nobody. I mean, you're, you're literally yeah. wooden spoon three years in a row. Nobody has. Nobody has their name right now. I think in yeah. Penn next year, outside of maybe Lucho and Brenner.
0: Things will likely change. The man making that change you've mentioned, Chris Albright, new general manager, comes over from Philadelphia, where he's in the number two role. And Ernst Tanner there admitted, "Look, if he's not going to Cincy, he's going somewhere soon." He was widely respected in this league. How much of a relief was it? for you guys when you learned that that since he was going in-house inside major league soccer for this move instead of trying to go over to to keep the netherlands pipeline flowing or going outside major league soccer to a guy who who's operated inside this league and and seems to have more of the tools to enact the unique kind of roster building that you have to do in this league
2: sure i mean outside of larry Sunderland, who's the head of our academy chris albright's the first guy who has had mls experience Mm -hmm. i mean alan Koch. You know, had a couple games as an MLS assistant coach several years ago, but he didn't build team. He wasn't that he wasn't the guy making the decisions. Um, there was literally nobody there with MLS experience. And you know, CST, you know, you you come to our website, you check out our salary budget tracker, like we are all over this stuff, you know. And we were able to show like these guys don't have a clue what they're doing when when it comes to roster build. (laughs) They just don't like he gave you, right? Yes. (laughs) So, like, the, like Alan Cruz, who you won't see Wednesday because he got a stupid yellow or red card for smacking a player with 30 seconds to go. That was bad. Uh, it was a retaliation, but you shouldn't have done it. No, but they, they took him from three hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars. Like, it's mm-hmm. just stupid the way this team's been run, it's unforgivable. And I think you're seeing a lot of the fans just they're 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 done this year, at least. But
1: well, mm-hmm. speaking of this, yeah, that's, that's- That's something that I wanted to ask about, actually, because with the move to the new stadium, it seemed like that would kind of be maybe a new era for this team, but the results haven't changed. And actually, the results at at TQL Stadium have been worse than the results on the road so far this year. Does that wear on the fan base, knowing that, you know, knowing how prideful Cincinnati fans can be about how much they pack out that stadium, especially and then seeing when they do pack out the stadium, it it doesn't necessarily get rewarded by the on-field play.
2: Well, well, while we didn't have any games last year at home, it's been like since June 2019 that i've seen a winner because mm-hmm. the one game fc Cincinnati won at tql stadium i was on vacation so it oh, makes bro. a lot of sense so yeah it, it's really people are still coming out because i think the one thing that's really nice about tql stadium and you guys if you guys come up you'll see it if you come up for the u.s uh, mexico game um in a couple weeks you'll see it it is in an awesome part of town it's right right off downtown right in the in the West end and over the Rhine area. So people are still coming out cause it's great to go out. People go down that to that way and have dinner and drinks every night. So it's just logical that they accompany that with a, with a soccer game. So TQL stadium is awesome. People are still coming. It's just like the diehard fans are just, they're just fed up. And I think, I think they have a right to be fed up. I think the the front office is fed up. The ownership fed up. Everybody's fed up with the results on the field, but I do think, and I think a lot of fans will say the same thing that, there's still is trust there that they will get it right because hmm. um, the ownership's it, this isn't like some of your teams in Texas that pinch every penny and, you know, pray to mm-hmm. God that they can bring two or three Academy kids through here. I think when I see Cincinnati, they're starting to get that Academy rolling when they start to come into those with some of the spending. I just, th- I think just like Nashville with your guys stadium, you're going to be able to start spending a ton of money. These are two franchises that are going to be tough to, to, to contend against. I, I kind of liken both of these franchises to like the St. Louis Cardinals potentially of major league baseball. Mm -hmm. Like they're not in the flashiest city, but golly, they've got some ownership groups that want to spend some money. They got a nice place to play. Um, Could be quite attractive uh, under the under the Ross rules and the salary configurations of MLS.
0: As an Atlanta Braves fan celebrating his team's return to yeah. the series after 22 years away. I don't enjoy any Cardinals references, but I think it's very logical, and I appreciate I was, it. I was going to say they, have,
1: they, they each have their own distinctive regional food items as well.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Skyline Chili versus Emo's Pizza the, with the with the Provel on it. <laughs> Toasted Rav. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, so one thing, Brad, that I admire about you guys, but also about honestly the folks in the Cincinnati organization is that, that they've they've really had little choice but to be honest about the situation they are in and and that extends to Tyrone Marshall he comes in as the interim after the firing of Yap Yapstam. And he's very candid in his assessment about some of the deficiencies that the organization endured under under, yeah, I mean, rigid sub patterns where there's only twelve or thirteen guys who were consistently employed. You're shaking your head. You can you can relate to this frustration. And I think that led to somewhat of a downtrodden culture where guys didn't want to come to work each day. Uh, ultimately, in your opinion, as you hear Tyron Marshall talk about those things, do you think that since his biggest problem is personnel driven and yeah i mean there are deficiencies especially in defensive midfield or is it a is it as much of a cultural issue at this point of of a group that's just not used to winning and, and having a hard time kickstarting that process
2: i i think when you've lost for several years it's it's tough to kickstart that process but i think it's more roster build than anything um I don't think Yop stop. I mean, I think Yop Stom was well-liked by a lot of the starters, which is very natural. Um, but I think if you ask a lot of the players, they can see when I mean, you had to have Joe, Joe Zhao, who's been a right winger his whole life. <laughs> he's just starting right back gate week one with no backup plan. Yeah. No, but no backup. Like Nick Hagelin's your backup plan or Zico Bailey. Who's really played like one MLS game. And he really, he's more of a USL player that we got a homegrown deal off of from LA. But, um, there's no plan there. there's no defensive midfield. There's no, these pieces just don't fit together. Um, and I think we were hoping that our, our talent would overcome that. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a cultural thing just on the fact that like you've seen Lucho Costa week in and week out, run his butt off and mm-hmm. tried to do on. Well. I think Matt Doyle has been banging that drum um, on MLS extra time. and Brenner, while he, I mean, he he's not had a bad year. He, anytime you bring young guys from, you know, brazil they don't always hit right away i mean i would say what nine of ten don't hit right away he's got seven goals yeah he's got seven goals on a team that struggles to get him reliable service so i think chris albright needs to do some digging with the new head coach how they want to play and then realize i think he does have some nice pieces there it's just going to be how he can his test is going to be how many of these players like Caleb Stanko, Harrison Dean, and who should be a free agent, mm-hmm. um, Makocho who's making a million dollars a year not playing, Alan Cruz making a million dollars a year not playing. How can he get some of these bad contracts off the books quickly? I think the faster he can do that, the quicker you'll see a turnaround. I still think the team's going to have its struggles in twenty two. It, it, it's pretty easy, but uh, I, I, he's got, he's got a test ahead of him. But I think unlike a lot of MLS teams out there he has so many resources behind him the mm-hmm. amazing practice center the the stadium the, the money behind him in the ownership so
0: and tyron marshall fun fact uh, back in 2011 played a season for gary smith in colorado <laughs> uh and, and gary raved about him I was chatting with him today and he said he was great locker room guy good player toward the back end of his career at that point mm-hmm. which dated back i believe to 1998 uh, or nine early early in the days of mls Um uh, Tactically, he comes in and he's tried a few different things. He's gone with the three-man back line. He's gone with the 4-4-2 four, four, diamond. Have you gotten a chance to really characterize his tactical approach? Or do you think the tactical approach is just put these moving parts in as many places as I can and see what works?
2: I think he's just trying to get live bodies on the field, especially this past mm-hmm. weekend versus Miami. That's really what he was trying to do. Uh, you've got guys like Jeff Cameron, who they've had overlapping seasons. Joe Costa had overlapping seasons. Brenner, a lot of these guys didn't have time off. Um, I think if there's going to be one underlying principle, it's going to try to get guys up the field into attack. You've seen Rana Matarita, who I think he's played wonderful. He's jumped right in Costa Rica playing almost every match for them. He gets up the field. They've put in Zico Bailey the last couple of weeks, try to get an attacking fullback again, up the field, try to throw numbers forward, see if they can get some goals. It definitely leaves them exposed because they don't have a defensive midfielder who can cover ground. I love Harris Medina as a player, I love his passing, He had a lot of success in Philly. Um, but they're asking him to play a deep lying six and he's not fast enough to do it. Um, and then we're, we're just not clinical enough on the ball. So I think if you see anything from Cincinnati, it's going to be trying to send players forward, try to get into the attack, see what they've got there. And then when Jeff Cameron's on the field on defense, he helps a lot, but um, if Nashville counters quickly, FC Cincinnati is going to be exposed at the back. And I think that's where you will what, that's where you'll punish him. So formations I think in the NFC Cincinnati is going to be like a four four two diamond, but this weekend, or this week, I don't know. But that characteristics of getting up the field, you'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Harris Mcdunian is kind of famously immobile, and you mentioned Jeff Cameron. Is is the counterattack what has been one of the biggest issues for for FC Cincinnati keeping opponents out of out of the back of the net this year? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, we've.
2: Uh, there's been issues every you know every formation we've played. There's been issues keeping the ball out of the back of the net. But I think that's where FC Centenni is the most susceptible because uh, this week you don't have Alan Cruz because he's got a red card. Kamahela Makocho and Harris are just slow. Um, Caleb Stanko might have to play center back um, depending on some injuries. It'll probably be Jeff Cameron and Blackett, but Caleb Stenko's and my mind, stinks too. So there's really no great option is like a destroyer to cover a lot Mm -hmm. of ground. FC Cincinnati just doesn't have that. So their hope is to get up the field, possess the ball and try to score. And uh, when they don't do that, like you saw against Miami, four to three, like we score three goals and still can't, still can't get a result. (laughs) So was it a
1: five, four against Montreal earlier this year? Oh gosh, we've had five
2: fours. Um, We, you know, this weekend we lost five to one. I think that was a mixture of live bodies, long season, new coach, new structures, uh, guys legs were done after 50 minutes and you saw Miami just poured on then but um, yeah
0: <laughs> other than the beans how was the chili um. <laughs> man lots uh lots going on up there uh finally we'll just ask for your expectations of the match you've mentioned how you think it could unfold cincinnati trying to get bodies yeah. forward and nashville looking to strike on the counter um do you think cincinnati has the opportunity to break the nine match losing streak or uh do you think that nashville is too robust and and disciplined to um to allow that to happen
2: well i think you guys what you got a w earlier this year against us didn't
1: you we, we drew the
2: opener yeah
1: mm-hmm. three of yeah, three and nothing
2: yeah. yeah but uh yeah, I mean, I'm just going to pick a draw. This is was it like the first what six or seven matches? Nashville against Cincinnati, their withdrawals. <laughs> when in doubt, that is the move yeah, to make in this rivalry. Yeah, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go with a a please just get a draw just to break the results. Like what is it? I can't even think of it. it's like what we've lost 15 of 16 or something crazy. A lot of pain going on, man. So.
0: Well, you guys have done a great job covering it. A draw, not a bad pick. Number one, because of the history of this rivalry. Number two, Nashville just a couple of draws away from tying the Major League Soccer record for draws in a season. So uh, it is it is certainly possible. Nashville fans will be hoping certainly for, uh, for much more than that. But uh, great analysis, Brad. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, folks, give them a follow on Twitter and also visit Cincinnati Soccer Talk for outstanding analysis that will get you more than ready for the match from Cincy's side of things. Brad, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Great to hear from Brad. Always appreciate him connecting with us. Go to Cincy Soccer Talk if you want great audio and written content. It is the club and country of Cincinnati, (laughs) although nobody can can replicate what you do, Tim. Cincinnati has allowed 26 goals in its last nine matches. It has lost all of those matches. Things are desperate in Cincy. Uh, It doesn't seem like Wednesday will be the night they turn it around,
1: but you never know in this league. Yeah, I think when you hear kind of the, the tone in Brad's voice, it might not be the tone that he was giving before the season when there were high hopes in Cincinnati. <laughs> but at the same time, unfortunately for the guys at Cincinnati Soccer Talk, this is something that they're used to. So, so uh, maybe next year, maybe next year, I guess, is going to be their new motto. And um, always great to hear the expertise of guys who know the team better than anybody. Let's bring in our next guest, and it's you guys, the
0: mailbag full of questions, many of them angsty, uh, like, a, like a teenager before prom who hadn't been asked yet, what's happening when am I going to get my playoff date? John Mueller asks uh, fairly, where have the goals, the, where have the goals gone? He says, there's a, an amount of humor in that question, but going from comfortably second to, I hope we get a home game is quote, very troubling.
1: Yeah, man, that's, uh, shouting out my, my high school experience is pretty rough last well, jeez but <laughs> to, to answer John's question here. Yeah, it was you, it was you I was talking about.
0: That's, yep. that's right. It wasn't my own <laughs> at all. Yeah. No.
1: So we covered this a bit at the top but i think that two explanations coming together at at a really inconvenient time is as simple as it gets nashville has gone on a really long road stretch against some really tough teams at the exact time that some of its most important players are unavailable due to injury suspension or their return from international play it's obviously not ideal but um, you know it's going to happen and it has happened to some other teams too and um, now that most of those guys are back healthy knock on wood that dan lovitz is also able to return it should be a different story in this final three game stretch. When you're playing a game of horse
0: on the basketball court, it's not the long distance shots that make you nervous. It's the layups. And with that in mind, you know, you, you beat Cincinnati. You feel like you should have, and and it could really cure what ails Nashville's attack and, and give it the momentum it needs. But if you miss the layup, it, it really is going to be a, a concerning moment for this team. Then I think you can start talking about very troubling. I don't think we're there yet, although I, I'm not going to invalidate, uh, invalidate John's John's thoughts on this. But I think you lose to Cincinnati, you draw against Cincinnati in a low-scoring match. It really does light a match to the kerosene, that is this question.
1: If, if you miss the layup, then you don't get asked to prom. I don't know. We'll workshop it. We'll work and then out. everything
0: catches on fire from the <laughs> yeah. from the match of the kerosene. I think we're full of metaphors, and I'm not sure they're hitting yet. But maybe we'll hit one on target here soon. Uh, there, tied it back to Nashville's attack. Uh, Logan Elliott, should we be concerned about the form of Leal and CJ? It feels like a big reason for the dip in form is down to Hani now being the only reliable goal scorer. Yeah, I think you can be concerned. A bit concerned is what you ask, Logan. I think a bit concerned is the right amount of concern to be. But mark your calendar for Thursday. Uh, maybe more like Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m and you get ready to throw those concerns in a dark room where you keep things you aren't sure you'll need again but want to keep on hand just in case. We all have that, that, uh, that room. Those three have, have combined for 50 goals plus assists this year, and those last six matches that we talked about earlier, they've combined for just three of those. Those happen to be all of Nashville's goals. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ has scored just once in his last 10 appearances now. He had scored eight times in the 10 matches before that. Uh, Tim, I think it's fair to say that every striker is going to experience ebbs and flows. But, but needless to say... The one side of that is is a little bit troubling, and Gary Smith's going to be looking to alter the tide.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually coming down on it pretty differently than okay. you, which is maybe we're embracing debate for the first time. All right, I'm not. I'm not concerned Thirty episodes about, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not concerned about those two guys specifically. I mean, they all carried minor injury stuff into the international break and came back from Costa Rica duty actually injured. In addition to being demoralized with the state of his beloved national team, and for CJ, he's scoreless in his past six appearances. But I'd honestly ignore the Philly one since the plan was not even to use him at all, and he was forced into the game by sub uh, by injury. Excuse me. And then I I would also throw out the Miami game because Nashville scored five goals and he just, it wasn't his day to shine in the game plan. So when you look at the intervening four games, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good, but it's a stretch that strikers are going to have from time to time, and that's especially true when the service dries up a little bit, and that's something that's that's been a bigger issue for me, and, and maybe Randall is, is part of that because he is so uh, dependable usually to provide the service, and he hasn't been doing it as much in the past few games either, but CJ is a, a particularly service-dependent striker, and when the service isn't there, he is not going to score. I would say, yes, each of those guys needs to step up his game individually. But more importantly, you need to see steps forward from guys like maybe Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty. But a return to the lineup from Dan Lovitz would certainly help here for reasons that uh, we've described earlier. So, yes, both of those guys need to step it up. But I'm not I'm not really concerned about them as individuals so much as as what their struggle represents in in the grander picture of the team here's the line that I'll draw. I'm not critical of what's
0: happened in the past 10 games necessarily with, with any one of those guys. I am concerned that what's happened in the last few games could affect their confidence moving forward and, and become concerning. So, you know, when I, when I say a bit concerned, I think that's reasonable to say, yeah, you know, regardless of the reasons behind CJ not scoring more than once in his last, you know, last 10, the ball's not gone on the back of the net. Strikers rely so often on that confidence on that momentum. uh, Maybe just, just maybe here, speculating, CJ is able to put the ball on target from Loba against Philadelphia if he feels confident he's in stride. That was always going to be a bit of a tough one to score, but, but maybe. He scored some tougher ones this year. Uh, so that's where I come, is looking forward and projecting and saying, you know, this attack is not feeling it. Hopefully they've not peaked for the year, and hopefully those players can draw on the reserves of, of resiliency that they've built up throughout their careers and bounce back, rather than being too terribly critical or too terribly troubled by the past few games. Uh, Andrew Yarbrough, he is troubled, and he's going to vent about it. And he even says afterward, "Thanks for coming to my TED talk." I don't know if there's a question in here. This is just a rant. But let's 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 bring it. Let's do it. He says two versus three, Nashville versus Philly, in the standings, and you sit. Walker on the base of needing rest. Then down a goal, you subbed a Lottie for Ake. Very confused with Gary. Why not rest Zim the following game when you play the worst team in the league? Gary said Ake is rusty, but whose fault is that? Ake has only been utilized at the end of games. He isn't a starter in Gary's eyes, and this isn't likely to see many minutes in our forthcoming game. So why not let him go the extra 30 minutes, I'm presuming he's saying at the end of the Philly match, to try to make something happy, happen, um, and happy. I
1: Try to make everybody happy.
0: Yeah, I think he absolutely would have made a lot of people happy. He said, even if rusty... Ake's talent far exceeds Dunlady. Now the words read on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts unless they are stated as our opinions. So that is obviously Andrew's opinion.
1: I agree with some of this. I disagree with a lot of it, but Tim, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm going to take Zimmerman's specifically because I I definitely understand why you would see his absence as a red flag, but um, you know, it's one of those risks that you, a calculated risk to give him a little bit of rest towards the end of the year that if, if, Philadelphia doesn't score Gary looks like a genius and, and that spe- specific decision basically did work out the, the goal that Philly did score was completely unrelated to the play of, of any individual on the defensive line aside from just some bad luck for Taylor Washington with the ball striking his hand so it, it essentially did work the problem is that it despite it working Philly still got a goal and, and Zimmerman's absence um, you know is going to look bad even though it, it wouldn't have changed the outcome on that specific play. Yeah,
0: I don't like hindsight as twenty twenty. you know, just just bludgeoning a coach when a guy does need to get rest. But I do tend to agree that Cincinnati would have been a better match to rest Walker. I, I completely understand that. I think this team, uh, honestly, it has a lot of respect for Cincinnati's attack. Um, its defense is woeful. But, you know, perhaps Gary believed he had the defensive weapons to give Walker 45 minutes of rest, put him into the second half, as he did at halftime and be okay against a team that had scored nine of its last 12 goals in the second half. So I can understand the decision. I can understand the angst over it um, and, and why why people would say, why not why Sensi? Not but I think that's the reasoning behind that. Uh, I'll take Aki Loba. First off, He's not a 90-minute player, so expecting him to go 90 minutes, as Andrew asks, is is unreasonable at this point. He's not done that. The longest he had gone in a match before this was, I believe, 45 minutes, and uh, it was the first half against New England. Uh, so he's, he's not a 90-minute player. He's not in shape to do that. that. That dispenses, I think, a bit with that argument. Um, the staff is pleased, though, with some of the underlying data behind his efforts against Columbus and Philadelphia. Uh, remember, of course, they're making decisions not just on who's scoring. Uh, ultimately, that's what a striker is going to be paid for. But also beyond that, the effort they're putting forth, runs in behind, work rate. They're seeing increases uh, in in that part of Aki Loba's game. But I'll tell you what, at some point, you've got to earn your money. So, you know, I can sit here and, and tell you to be patient to a reasonable level. That's fair. You can't expect Aki to come in and be a 15-goal scorer in his first year. I think you can expect more than him taking one shot in 299 minutes, though. Um, and that's where he's at right now. I mean, Luke Hawkinson takes a shot every 26 minutes. and
1: They're very different players, but yeah. just, to, just to compare those numbers. It's, it's a different situation, but it reminds me of, of U.S. men's national team talk around the decision to start Paul Areola over Tim Weah. And it's some indication that Greg Burhalter thinks Paul Areola is a better player than Tim Weah, which I think anybody who is sitting and thinking critically about it probably realizes that that's not what Burhalter thinks. It's kind of about a matchup thing. And I'm mm-hmm. um, start, starting Ake and replacing him with a guy with the speed that Abu has. is, is kind of a similar situation in that respect, because Tim Weah is a better athlete than Paul Ariola, But the bigger situation is who is getting the most minutes or who is getting... Um, you know, the start versus coming on as a sub is not necessarily about who's the better player. I think most people would probably agree that Ake Loba is a better player than Abu Dhammadi at this point, although Abu has a ton of potential. The issue is, what do you need in the situation and what can you get from each guy in the situation? And, and as you mentioned, so far, Nashville just can't get a 90-minute appearance from Ake Loba. They probably can't get a, an 80-minute appearance from Ake Loba. At what point do you kind of have to say, okay, we can see this guy getting tired. We'll take him off even though he's a better player. And, and and does it make more sense in that regard to put him on late in games where you don't have to sub him off? It's I don't envy Gary Smith for making this decision, especially as much as fans have been uh, kind of criticizing it uh, because it's been such a, a slog to get Ake onto the field as much mm-hmm. as anyone would want. The staff does see progression from him. They don't
0: mm-hmm. see what, not speaking for them, uh, too terribly to say. I think they would have enjoyed to get a little more out of him at this point. Uh, Nashville SC fans would have enjoyed a lot more out of him at this point. And I think the the fair expectation level is probably something a little bit less than what, but many put on him. I mean, you come to MLS look at Honey Mugtar last year. He, he, he acclimated rather slowly. He shows up against Houston and just tears up the pitch uh, has a, has a brace. That's what could be coming for Ake Loba, but I understand the impatience that, that is mounting. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I was a little bit, a little bit mis- misrepresented actually on the Nashville Soccer Show last week. Not in a big way, but Davey Shepard said that, that I am sitting here telling everybody to yeah, be you're patient. Your brother be to patient. Defend you, man. No, you got to step up, Will. Come on, man. This, let's go. Uh, and it's and Davey's great. He's awesome. Um, I think he's he took the general the general theme is yeah, be be patient to some extent. But, but those, the, every, every bit of patience has its limit, and I think it's time for fans to, to be fairly a little bit curious um, as to not, not Ake Loba's long-term future here. I don't think we go there yet, but, but how does he contribute this year, and does Nashville have a second striker it can lean on if Daniel Rios is injured for any extended amount of time? I, I understand some angst there. Uh, I also don't think the staff should have played Ake Loba a heck of a lot more than it has. Because I don't think he'd earn that. That trust, I think when you have a Daniel Rios coming in, it's not about ability, like you said. It's about who has the trust of of the staff, and and Daniel
1: does, and Ake's getting there. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the flashes from Ake, but it has not been consistent enough. Now you mentioned the number of shots that he's taken, which is just, it it blows your mind how great that number is, because it's exactly one. (laughs) (laughs) This is a guy who shows the technical ability, who shows some of the movement ability. But when he's on the pitch, he has to, do everything he can to earn those additional minutes on the pitch in the subsequent games. Gary has been very consistent that Ake does that in in training. He Uh needs to do it on the field in games too.
0: I think the future is, is probably fine there and could be great, but uh, certainly understand the weight of expectations from these Nashville SC supporters, especially with CJ Sapong uh, being a little bit off his rhythm lately. All right. Hope that was helpful. Hope you guys especially enjoyed the, the playoff breakdown and what's coming uh, really excited to see the madness that is MLS. I'll just reiterate for my content recommendation. Once again, watch as many games as you can and and come back to us with questions about that stuff too, by the way, uh, we'll talk all the Nashville soccer you want. That's our primary topic here, but we can talk about anything in major league soccer. We're both following the league very closely elsewhere. So as you're watching games and want to chat about it with us, my recommendation is watch it and then add us, give us some mentions, put us, Get getting our dm slide into our just just tweet at <laughs> you us you sound whatever. so old right now Wes, i love it <laughs> well i am so old so there
1: yeah last week i recommended an australian band by the name of custard and this week i have in the time since i have learned that this band is named after a, a food product so check that stuff out don't know a whole lot about <laughs> it but it sounds great <laughs> oh man don't egg me on um <laughs> uh, speaking of sounding old no but uh on a, on a realistic point um that the the way uh versus ariola discussion there reminded me to once again i've recommended this before but the scuffed podcast if you're a u.s men's national team fan um greg velasquez and i come down on very different sides of the ariola versus Wea <laughs> in the mind of burr halter discussion um so uh that's that's what inspired that thought process but check those guys out nobody does a better job than bells and velasquez of covering the u.s men's national team and um obviously walker zimmerman is is really our primary relevant player there right now. But um, I think most people listening to this pod love the men's national team as well. And so it's definitely uh, one of the best places to get the full suite of information that you can get there. Oh, well, speaking of that Walker gave a good interview with Grant wall
0: this week as well on his podcast. I've not had a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, I'll, I'll preemptively say it's likely a good but interview shout because... out again
1: to Greg for telling me. about it. <laughs>
0: right. Um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, i'm sure a great interview by the time you're listening to this i will have listened to it uh he's, walker of course tremendous insight wherever he goes and uh so give that a listen as well and give us a listen next week thanks for listening today thanks to moon taxi for the music thanks to espn 94.9 for the jams be sure to uh, give us some ratings give us some reviews subscribe to this podcast tell all your soccer friends about us shout it from the rooftops uh, shout it from the, the, the terraces, if you will. Let people know we're around and uh, give us each a follow on Twitter. Thanks, as always, to the 440 Sports Network for giving us microphones. We'll talk to you after a very busy week in a very different situation, hopefully for better and not for worse for Nashville SC. So on.